welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. <clears throat> Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is Critics Pod. Uh, listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. But please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Give us a five-star review. We'll read it on the air. And then patreon.com slash criticspod is the best way to help support the podcast. And you can get some of our bonus episodes, including a uh, Friday the 13th commentary track, some music reviews that Sean and I did, and a whole lot more. Uh, and then Public, head over to IHateCritics.net, search our Public link, or search criticspod over at tpublic.com. Jeez, I can't talk right now. I'm fighting back hiccups. All right, Sean, where can people find your music review or your movie reviews? I do music too, but yeah, it's uh, Geeks.media. And uh, the newest piece up of, of the uh, archive blog is SeanFromMovies.blogspot.com for the old reviews so you can you know, find them and find me contradicting myself and that kind of thing. Um, but the, the newest piece I just wrote that I'm incredibly proud of is... Uh, a deep dive into the mysterious nature of the Coach YouTube channel because somebody created a YouTube channel surrounding the TV series Coach, and so I decided to come up with a narrative about how someone would end up making a YouTube channel about the TV show Coach because I find that to be incredibly bizarre. I love Coach. <laughs> <laughs> Was it you? Was this you? You did this? Dude, I can barely do the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. Somebody just uploading, like, they spent the last eight months just uploading eight-minute clips of episodes of Coach and calling themselves official, like they're the official Coach channel. So weird. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, funny side note: we had a. I used to have a the DVD of season one of Coach, and we were selling it at a garage sale. And this girl who looked an awful lot like Craig T. Nelson bought it, and then she <laughs> said she was his daughter. Oh wow! <laughs> and this is like in Geneseo. So I don't know why she I don't she had a reason why she was coming through town. This is like twelve years ago. I don't even remember exactly, but just for all you I know he's not the most likable inescapable. Yes. <laughs> uh Jeff, where can people find your art? Uh JeffLasseter.com. And if you're in the Chicago area, come to the Davis Theater on Saturday where <laughs> we're doing a Euro horror movie festival. Uh I think it's 12 hours, eight hours of uh, Euro horror movies, including the classic Don't Don't Torture a Duckling, which is just a bonkers movie that everybody should see on the big screen if they get the chance. So come and see me. Buy my shit. Awesome. Please. I want to quit my job. <laughs> I want to live in the lap of luxury that is the life of an artist. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious, huh? All right. Uh, all those links are in our show notes as well. Um, let's get right to it. There's no news to talk about, right? Just go straight to the movies? Or Sorry, I'm a little off um, this week. Carol Locatell died. She was in a lot of movies. Uh, my, my favorite movie that she was in was uh, Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. She played Ethel. Um, 
She was really funny. Very, very nice lady if you met her at a convention. She was also in uh, Sharky's Machine, where she used the same wig that she wore in Friday the 13th Part 5. Um, you know, she was in movies with everybody throughout the 70s and 80s. So, My only news is that I'm trying desperately to avoid any more reviews of Bo is Afraid. I don't want to know any more than I already know. I'm, I'm just stupid excited about this movie. <laughs> I didn't realize it was three hours long. I, you know, give me, I'll take four. I mean, <laughs> give me whatever. I'm, it's, 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 it's I'm going to go to Chicago. And so like <laughs> Thursday night, I'm like, all right. I looked at the show times. So I was like, oh, seven o'clock. Why is it at three o'clock? Oh, because it's three hours long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, going to three, my, I'm going to the three. <laughs> I wish I, I, if I could take off an, another few hours from work, I would, but I take him Friday off. So. Yeah, I don't. I'm hoping I can. I need to get to the theater to see it. Uh, right now, I have a pretty packed weekend. My wife uh, just volunteered me for after prom and all, so I'm like, I'm not even around. Friday night, I'm in Chicago at a concert, and Thursday, I don't know. Unless they went to like the ten o'clock showing, I don't know if I can see it Thursday. So hopefully Sunday I can make time. But I've been excited about this more than anything in a long time only review I've read kind of shit on it said it was of its own ass but then followed that up with a shitty comment about hereditary so then I'm like oh yeah you're one of those so that made me feel better <laughs> alright let's get to this week though because that's next week Mafia Mama <laughs> Mafia Mama stars Tony Collette as a woman who inherits a mafia family that's a normal thing that's basically the premise and the idea I guess is that yeah, she's a woman whose grandfather ran a mafia family in Italy and she inherits it and she goes to his funeral and finds out that she's now a mafia don and she has to pretend to be capable of running a mafia family. She's threatened by other mafia families because Italy and stereotypes and whatnot. And this movie was directed by Catherine Hardwick. It blows my mind because Catherine Hardwick's even now she did Twilight and whatnot. She's done some trashy stuff, but She's still a very good director, and here she's just kind of just coasting on this autopilot plot, this uh, just this concept of a woman inheriting a mafia family, and she's trying to pull off this incredibly tricky tone in a movie that she clearly doesn't care about. Like she's she, there is some like seriously violent shit happening in this movie. Like at what, like one of the things that I wrote about in my review, the first thing I wrote about in my review is this moment where she is attacked and she's going to be you know, one of these guys trying to kill her and she takes off her her high heel and she jams it in his groin and then she jams it in his eye socket then jams it in his groin again and then jams it in his eye socket again and somebody comments later like yeah uh, everybody really thinks you're crazy because they found pieces of his scrotum in, in his eye socket and it's like <laughs> this movie can't sustain that kind of comedy like it doesn't have the tone it doesn't have the capability because it also wants to be like Eat, pray, love, and and how Stella got her groove back. I mean, uh, another comparison I made was like if you if you took the movie Girls Trip with Queen Latifah and then dropped that into the universe of Boys in the Hood, like that's the tone they're trying to pull off with this. It's like, uh, it, it's bizarre. It's truly, it's truly just a, a complete and utter mess. And uh, uh, just Tony Collette is such a great actress, and she's so bad in this. And Monica Bellucci, like you can just see where she's just trying to crawl out of the movie and keeps getting dragged back into it. I, uh, it's really bad. 
Yeah, I kind of held out hope just because of the cast, because they don't generally take on movies like this. So that was, or at least Tony Collette. Uh, well, I mean, Tony Collette is also has also starred alongside uh, a woman from My Big Fat Greek Wedding in one of the worst movies ever made. So I mean, she's she'll do bad shit. She does some bad shit. Well, but she doesn't tend to do like super commercial bad shit. If that makes sense, I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you did forget King Ralph. Was it nothing like King Ralph? <laughs> it's nothing like King Ralph. Maybe comically, maybe like a couple of characters are kind of fat, but I mean, beyond that, no, it's well, nothing I mean, like King he Ralph. Inherits the kingdom. <laughs> <clears throat> Jeff, do you have any comments on this movie? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to talk about it because I had to go fucking see it. Oh, awesome. Um, <laughs> So I saw. I I was I'm, I'm just gonna like a brief spoiler for my Renfield review. I thought tonally that was all over the place. This makes that look like a tight, tight, taut thriller. Mm-hmm. This is just like it's it's like every five seconds Tony Collette is saying squirrel, and <laughs> I I really love Tony Collette. She is probably my top five favorite actors. Um. What is going on with this movie, though? I it it had to either be super broad comedy, or like drama thriller kind of stuff, you know. And if she said, "I never saw The Godfather," you know, it was like she said it once, she said it fifty times, and oh, God, yeah, I knew from the very beginning that her love interest was not who he said he was. Um. I really, I did think that he was a member of the, you know, the crime family that she was up against, the Romanos. But, um, I just was like, oh, that's yeah, that's gonna, she's gonna like, they're gonna meet up, and all of a sudden they're gonna have to try to kill each other. And it was just, I did. There were some laugh out loud funny bits in it, but not enough to sustain it as a two hour movie mm-hmm. or an hour and forty one minutes. I counted. Um, I, it was just, it was so predictable. Everything about it was so predictable, except, except I will give it this. I really, really thought that Monica Bellucci, I thought her character was setting up Tony Collette and she was going to be the big bad in the movie. That's, but it couldn't even sustain that, you know, I, even up till the, like towards the very end, you thought that was, you're alive, you know, she's alive and oh yeah, because she's the big bad. And then she wasn't, I was like, well, then why would you bring Monica Bellucci into this movie? (laughs) If she's not going to be the big bad or have a dramatic turn or have anything to do whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, you didn't, you did not need her character at all. I mean, I thought, you know, Oh, maybe she's the cousin or something. And she's this other douchebag's mom because that's what I really what I thought was going on for the first 15 20 minutes mm-hmm. that they were in Italy but then it wasn't and I was just like well what's the, what what is the point you know there she doesn't even need to be a character you just have to have her two handlers who I thought were good um okay. but it just it was totally it was like a boomerang every five minutes I was like is this a comedy is it a eat pray love I'm sorry eat pray fuck or eat, is pray. it yeah uh you know, I just didn't. It was everybody in this movie was is who's a good actor was totally wasted. 
Yeah, no, and and it's weird because like they keep doing this thing with Monica Bellucci's character, where anytime they have to set up a meeting with the other family, she says she's not allowed to go, which automatically should be setting up for something, and then that doesn't pay off in any yeah. way at all. Like it's just it's just another bad idea in a series of bad ideas. But there's another thing in this, and I, I want to get your perspective on this, Jeff, because I thought there was a little bit of queer baiting going on at one point where she's like oh, in, yeah. in laying in a hammock with, with Tony Collette, and I thought. Is she trying to seduce her? What is happening here? And that goes nowhere as well. Well, she lays it with her in the hammock, and then you find out about her her prosthetic leg that is just the fat is moving on her leg when she touches it. I mean, <laughs> I, I was like, "Huh? That that's an awfully good prosthetic." And then you find out, oh, it's supposed to be metal. I, I uh, whatever. Uh, but then later on in the movie. When you think she's going to say, I'm, you know, I'm the Donna of this family, of the Romanos, you think that's what's going to happen. But instead, she's just like getting really up close and like she wants to make out with her. And Tony Collette seems into it. And it's just like they don't say it again. You know, nothing whatsoever comes of it. No, nothing. Just fucking weird. Bizarre choices throughout. It's just a terrible film. It's you know it's streamable, okay. You don't pay twelve bucks to go see this movie or sixteen <laughs> or whatever. It's fine if you're just if it's just like oh it's on Peacock. Uh, I guess yeah I'll, I'll put it on while I'm cooking dinner, or, you know, or making wine or some shit. But <laughs> you're making dinner. Maybe don't look at the uh, at the scrotum eye socket scene. Just you know, kind of maternal way during yeah. that one. <laughs> you know, all, the th- all three movies that I saw this weekend had an incredible amount of gore. And that was so, uh, like, out of, it, it didn't belong in this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean the, the, the headshots. I mean, people getting shot, blood flying everywhere. Like, again, they're trying to pull off something tricky. And I almost kind of admired, like, the idea that they would go really dark in terms of the humor. Like, I thought maybe there was going to be something there, but it, it doesn't. They don't, they don't actually finish that thought. They, they kind of introduce a lot of different items that they don't follow up on. This movie is not going to survive as an R rated movie. It's this is a PG 13 idea or an R rated, you know, idea, but yeah. don't make it seem like it's a comedy because it's not bridesmaids. No, no, make a PG 13 movie where she inherits the mafia. She makes them all go straight and, you know, be, be uh, good citizens. Sometimes they pr- they have to get into mafia stuff and nearly kill somebody, but then she's like stopping them from killing people. Like that's the more that's more true to the character. It's and it's not nearly. You don't have to go to dark places that make no sense for a movie that also wants to be how Stella got her groove back. Yeah, I don't need a, I don't need a close up of an eyeball rolling across the floor <laughs> as she's walking out of. Her. I don't need that for this movie. I was think yeah. this movie would have been. What I thought it was, and I would have liked it more if it was more like a foul play with Goldie Hunt, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of, oh, shit, what have I gotten myself into? That kind of fish out of water story, as opposed to a fish out of water who also knows how to murder a man with her high heels in graphic <laughs> detail. And you yeah. know me, I love gore. I love it. But I want it in a horror movie. I don't want it in a, you know, a half sex comedy, half fish out of water story you know it's just it was so tonally weird bizarre yeah 
Yeah. I, I thought they were trying to go for, like, what can we do to make this R rated so people think it's bridesmaids? <laughs> Anything else on Mafia Mama? I say don't bother. Jeff is being incredibly kind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying do a director's cut with and take out all the gore and throw it on Peacock and I would love it. I probably would love it if it was like totally not over the, all over the place because I like Tony Collette and I like stupid comedies, but here we are. <laughs> the Pope's Exorcist. The Pope's Exorcist stars Russell Crowe as uh, the Pope's Exorcist. He's literally that. Uh, Father Amor <laughs> works directly for okay, the Pope. review over. <laughs> Franco Nero is the Pope and uh, Russell Crowe is uh, he's like a he's like a cop who plays by his own rules, you know. But he's also an, but he's an exorcist and not a not a cop. Uh, somehow they've taken every cop movie trope and thrown it at a priest who's a, who pl- works as an exorcist. So like he gets pulled in front of like an, an internal affairs board that's like investigating him. Uh, he gets a new rookie partner who doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> it's just totally bizarre, and it just tickled me every time they came up with some new twist on the cop genre in this exorcist movie was just adorable. Like the whole thing boils down to him uncovering corruption in the church from the Spanish inquisition, but it was really the devil that did it. Like, Oh my God. It was so funny, but like, I knew this movie was going to be absolutely brilliant. The minute that I saw Russell Crowe on a Vespa, like they just don't (laughs) care. They don't care how this looks. He's on his scooter the entire movie, and I'm just like, this is so funny. It just reminded me of like late period Orson Welles. Like he's got so much dignity, and then he's on a little scooter. <laughs> he's a gr- very grave, serious man on a scooter, and then uh, he's got to go do the. He's got this big case, and he's going to have to you know go outside the rules of the law to to solve it, and then you know figure out the name of the demon so they can get rid of the demon. The family's living in an abbey in Spain and they've got a demon in the basement in the Spanish Inquisition and all that. Now, who cares? Who cares? Russell Crowe is having such a delightful time being this character. He's so deeply invested in this and giving it all of his Russell Crowness that I'm like, you know, what? yeah, I, I go for it, man. Be you. Enjoy this. I, I had a great time. This movie's terrible. I'm just going to, I got to stay. It's a bad <laughs> movie, <laughs> but it's bad in such great fun exciting ways that i can't resist it yeah i think it's elevated by having russell crowe play this character um you know i just i was like wait a minute first of all he looks so much like rod steiger in like the amityville horror now like that's mm-hmm. it. I, I a couple times I was like, wow, he looks so much like Rod Steiger now. Um, Daniel Zavato, who I didn't recognize in this movie because I've only ever seen him play kind of scruffy, and I've never saw Penny Dreadful or whatever. He is like, he's eating up that scenery too. It's like it's like they got together and they were like, you know what, this is a stupid like conjuring kind of movie. Let's just have fun with it, and let's just do whatever the fuck we want. And when you said you loved it, I was like, what, Sean? Like a <laughs> religious horror movie? And Which I'm not a believer, so I don't. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, okay, I don't, I, I'm not a believer. So this kind of stuff is not scary to me, but based on the performances, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought the kid who plays Henry Peter D'Souza Faoni, I think his name is, mm-hmm. I thought he was really good. Um, he just, he lo- he's got that weird kind of big eyed look. So you know, as soon as you see him on screen, it's like, oh, he's gonna fucking. He's, he's gonna, gonna say really, fuck really loud. A lot, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, just it was just like it was. This is the tone that Mafia Mama would have <laughs> like. The, you know, it's like we're not it's taking consistent. ourselves too seriously. Totally consistent. Yes. Yes, this movie is ridiculous, but we are not taking it so seriously. That we're not, ha- you know, we're not going to have fun with it. I I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't just about this possessed kid. You know, mm-hmm. I really thought I'm like, okay, it's another Exorcist, Exorcist two ripoff, but it really wasn't. It was fun. It was dumb. Um, you know, the fact that it was quote unquote based on a per- on a real person. <laughs> I'm like, okay, sure, Jan. Um, <laughs> You know, just his whole demeanor in the movie and that kind of oh, like, I'm yeah. too cool for school. And I, I would, I, w- I will see this again. I want to see it if- tomorrow. Like I, that's how much, I, how much fun I had with this movie. It's so well, much fun. And it's, it's, it's ironic fun, but it's also genuine fun because Russell Crowe is having a great time doing this. Like you can sense that even he has a sense of humor about this. He's being oh, very absolutely. serious, treating the material with gravitas, but he's also like he's like making bird noises at nuns as they go by, <laughs> like yeah. riding his little Vespa scooter so adorably. Like he's having a great time doing this. Like I feel like that stuff was intentional to the point where I actually I I tweeted out my review today, and the producer saw the title, which said is which basically says this is a fun bad movie. And he liked my tweet. (laughs) Yeah, it is a fun, bad movie. You're right. Nice. Did you see it, Bob? Yeah, because Sean said it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh oh. Well, I mean, it's. I agree with everything you guys are saying. I just, I didn't have as much fun because I'm trying to find what he was seeing in it, and I was like, (laughs) I'm like, this is just a studio exorcism movie with Russell Crowe, and Russell Crowe does elevate it. You're 100 percent right. Uh, and the tone's right on, but at the end of the day, it's just like a straight ahead <laughs> commercial <laughs> exorcist movie. And but you are right, Russell Crowe is he's funny in it. Uh, at one point, my wife looks over to me during it and says, We have a friend named Ian, and she says, He kind of reminds me of Ian. And the rest of the movie, I started to have more fun because he did. Uh, just kind of a slightly overweight uh, guy who just makes weird choices, uh, which is what <laughs> Russell Crowe, the person, was doing. Uh, but I don't know. It, it was, I kept, like, I don't know. I was looking for something there that, I, I was looking in the wrong direction, I guess. I wasn't thinking fun, bad. I was thinking hereditary, and I'm like, this is nowhere near that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I I'm gonna say I kind of thought that too when he, when we were all chatting and he said oh it was you know oh, I loved it and I was like huh 
So I started watching it and I'm like, I don't get it until <laughs> until he got to the house and then I kind of got the tone of it and it was like, oh, this is not just like an insidious kind of movie that I would expect Sean to hate. It's just, it's over the top and it's supposed to be over the top and they're all giving it their over the top right. performances. Yeah. You know, I mean, even like the family who you don't really give a shit about because they're not the star. They were right. good. You know, well, and to call it fun, bad, I don't even think it's fair because there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a straight ahead exercise. I mean, there's no flaws really in it other than Russell Crowe's being fun, which you wouldn't normally think of an exorcism movie, but it's straight ahead. There's nothing wrong with it. So it's not even really bad. It's just like fun, straightforward. Uh, so that's what threw me off. If it was like over the top awful, that would have been uh, maybe, I don't know. I'm, but it, uh, it it's good ish, good enough. Uh, it's worth watching. It is. It's definitely easy to consume, and all that's due to Russell Crowe. I I was comparing it in my review to when uh, Orson Welles voiced the Transformer in, in the Transformers movie. It's like it's like here he is. He's Orson Welles, and he's bringing all of his Orson Welles quality to that. And I just like the Russell Crowe here. It's like this material is so beneath his talent. And yet here he is elevating it with how great he is. And he's just bringing so much to it. I really loved that. I loved his performance. I think everything else in the movie is under trash. I think all like the the whole cop thing just kept going through my head because like they've stolen every cop movie trope and applied it to an exorcist. But they made it work so hard. <laughs> they called him in front of the internal affairs bureau. It's just like they're they gonna request his badge, <laughs> and then he pulls out a fucking badge. <laughs> it's just fucking rolling, like he has an actual fucking badge. <laughs> but it's not like it's you're watching it as a regular person and being like, "Well, that doesn't make sense at all." <laughs> they, they do it in a way that makes it make sense, so it's competent at the same time, which is what threw me off. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway. I like competent uh, yeah. horror movies that aren't that don't take themselves too seriously, and I think that's what to me this was. It was like, all right, you know what? Fuck it, let's just have fun. Let's make a movie that's mm-hmm. got it has really good effects too. Um, you know, the right amount of gore. Uh, I liked the the kind of stupid lore because you know it's like it was kind of like. Uh, Dan Brown movie meets a cop movie meets the exorcist. You know what I mean? (laughs) There was enough of that, like bullshit Spanish inquisition lore that doesn't, I mean, nobody. Yeah. I like, I like that shit because I'm like, people actually did this in the name of God. Come on. Mm -hmm. You still believe this shit, you know, like that's, but it was, it was interesting to me because that, that kind of stuff interests me. Like the, you know, the how do people justify this kind of shit in the name of religion? Oh, yeah. I, I loved that. I loved that whole Spanish Inquisition thing. Not to spoil anything, but they find out, or th- th- Russell Crowe finds out basically that the devil was the one behind the, the Spanish Inquisition. So the church would go, aha, it wasn't us. <laughs> like, yep, he lets the church off the hook. <laughs> That's great. That's good stuff. Um, I was going to make another. I think I lost it. Um, 
Damn it. Oh, about the, yeah, that's what I hate about the Conjuring movies is asking me to take bullshit like this seriously is such a waste of time, especially when it's coming from such bullshit con artists as the as the Conjuring people. Like, fuck those people. I, I, I can't take them seriously. Don't ask me to. Make this movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind when they do it seriously. And I thought the first Conjuring was excellent, uh, but after that, it kind of went downhill. <clears throat> but you hated The Exorcist too, Sean, so... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, and you guys, all, I mean, I also was trying to prepare what I was going to say, and then for you to come out and say it was a fun bad. I'm like, so I can't even like argue with Sean because I was going to say how the director is far from an artist and more of a carpenter. <laughs> I just you fucked up my whole time. Uh, uh, let's move on to Renfeld. I'm going to step away for a second. I'll be right back, but you guys go ahead and keep going as we talk about Renfeld. All right, Renfield stars Nicholas Holt as the title character, Renfield. He is the assistant or familiar of Dracula. Uh, has been for, for years uh, and uh, dating back to apparently the original movie, which they've retconned into this movie kind of in a fun, fun way. Uh, Nicholas Cage is Dracula. He's uh, narrowly survived uh, re- uh, a death over the last couple of decades and is nursing himself back to health. In a New Orleans hospital where uh, Renfield has sort of rediscovered his conscience and kind of wants to get out from under being, you know, Dracula's uh, food getter. Uh, and the, of course, the, the draw here is seeing Nicolas Cage as Dracula. And the reason that I think this movie suffers is that there's not nearly enough of Nicolas Cage as Dracula. Like, you promised me Nicolas Cage as Dracula. You better damn well deliver me plenty of Nicolas Cage as Dracula. And while I enjoyed this movie, I wanted more Nicolas Cage as Dracula. I wanted him doing silly, over-the-top shit. That's why you. That's what the trailer promises. It's what the movie promises simply by casting Nicolas Cage as Dracula. And if you don't deliver that enough, it doesn't work for me. And so I'm, t- I'm torn on this one. I do like it. But like the whole subplot about the drug dealers and the and uh aquafina like i i like those actors i i love those actors but like i just wanted to see more of what nicholas cage was doing anytime nicholas cage was off screen i'm like what is nicholas cage doing right now like what is dracula doing right now and dracula is basically just killing whoever he can get his hands on <laughs> so he can heal himself. And I'm kind of like, I want to see him just monologue at people <laughs> and come up with crazy shit. So I like this movie, but I'm, I'm torn. I wanted more. I wanted more Nicholas Cage. You want me to go or do you got it, Jeff? Go ahead. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. It reminded me of kind of like Shaun of the Dead with Nicholas Cage in it to the point where it's like people are loving it too much and it's starting to bother me a little bit. The, the <laughs> few people that saw it are raving about it. Uh, but it was fine. It, you know, it was funny enough. It was good enough. Uh, when Nicholas Cage was on, it was amazing. But at the end of the day, I was just kind of like pulling my phone out in the theater and playing games and <laughs> looking back and forth. I, yeah. I wasn't in love with this movie like I wanted to be, and I don't think the marketing campaign was great either. 
Uh, I think we mentioned that last week. Uh, so in the end, it was fine, but that's kind of the best I can give it. Jeff? Yeah, I, well, I was so fucking sick of the trailer, the original trailer for this movie, that I almost didn't want to see the movie at all. I just was like, if I have to see that stupid trailer, and then they didn't even use half the lines from the trailer in the movie. I mean, if I had to sit through the trailer, I should be able to see them in the movie. You know, like, where's the Postmates for Dracula line? Um, mm-hmm. uh, what I enjoyed about it was, you know, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage was, was playing Nicolas Cage. You know, like he, was just, he was just like that, you know, his, his over-the-topness that he plays sometimes. Um, and I liked that. I... I mean, uh, as she ages, Shora Agdashlu, I can't understand what she's saying anymore. (laughs) So I really had to like really listen when she was on screen. Um, I, I like Aquafina, but I didn't care for her, like the whole backstory that she had. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't see the stakes with her sister when her sister was in danger. Um, I just thought like, like I did say earlier, the, the, the tone of this just shifted from romantic comedy to horror movie to, you know, action movie, just too much on a dime for me. Like I would have liked (laughs) to have seen it start off as one thing and kind of morph slowly. Um, I really, really liked the way that they incorporated the uh, the original Dracula with the, mm-hmm. you know, just like tweaking it so that you see their faces instead. Um, ben Schwartz, oh, he always like bugs me. So <laughs> when he was on screen, I kept like, I'm like, oh God, I wish this was Joe Keery from Stranger Things. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I just, I didn't love it. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it. I love the gore. I mean, the gore was so fucking over the top that yeah. I had to love that. Um, you know, and it wasn't like with Mafia Mama where it didn't belong. It absolutely belonged here. And the fact that there was so much of it, I was really on board with that. Um, I don't know. It just didn't hold together as well as I wanted it to. Um, and I think that's because they, they were, they could, are we a comedy? Are we a drama? Are we a horror movie? Are we, uh, you know, a horror comedy would have worked too, but it was just too much kind of bouncing around like a pinball machine. Especially, I mean, there's a scene early, early on with uh, with Cage's sort of uh, modern introduction where you see him in all this incredible gory makeup, and it's so good. And he is yeah. monologuing like crazy, just doing this amazing Nicolas Cage thing. And I was just, I was entranced by that, like looking at just his ear is like sliding off his face and his face is pulsating with like his skin trying to come back together. It's awesome. And I loved that. And he's monologuing while he's doing it. And he's got his arm around Nicholas Holt. And it's really gross. I loved it. Uh, and I wanted something more like that. I wanted more of their relationship. Like I said, I just want more of cage just doing Nicholas cage, especially we didn't get to see enough of him after he heals. Like, we're, we're spending all this time with like these drug dealer characters and it's like, ah, enough. 
Just what is what is Dracula doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be wouldn't it have been great to see like you start off in the 1930s and you kind of, you know, you they gave you just enough of the movie, of the original that I kind of wanted to see them um I, and I don't know like rights or whatever, but you know, go into like they could have incorporated Son of Dracula or that kind of stuff and then had you know, the Hammer era of Dracula, which I thought that his look really kind of, his look, modern look, really kind of brought that to life. But to see him, you know, in the 60s and see them up until now, um, I also think that if you wanted to drive home the fact that, you know, Renfield lost his entire family, show that. You know, show show his wife as a really old person show his son and his grandkids, you know, that he never got to, to really meet. Um, you know, what if the, what if the mob family was his family and that that happened because he wasn't around to raise his son, you know, I just all this other stuff that I think you could have done. Um, I don't think it needed to be a modern day, a whole modern day movie. I think, I think, you know, throughout the years would have been great. They had actually had a plan to uh, do the hammer thing, and it turned out to be uh, too too complicated. It was hard enough doing the. You know, they had a bit of a time constraint, so they had a hard enough time doing the 1931 uh, thing that they do, and uh, they felt that they just didn't have the time and the capability to make the hammer stuff look good. But they did plan on doing that. That would have been great. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they had an idea in mind when they made it, or when they wrote it, and they're ready to go. Then they got Nicolas Cage on board, and then they kind of like, all right, we got to do this fun stuff with Nicolas Cage. So they changed from the original idea, but they didn't go full Nicolas Cage either. So it kind of met somewhere in the middle, and it, it just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't read a Harry Knowles review in like 10 years, and this is the first one I ever, I, for whatever <laughs> reason, it popped up on Facebook or something like that, and he just loved the f- fuck out of it, and I don't get that at all. But there's a lot of things. I, I forgot about get. him completely. That's I crazy. know. I didn't know. I haven't been to that website in forever. Does it still exist? I don't know. <laughs> I guess I watched, kind of fa- I watched the faculty recently, so he was in that. So I never completely out of mind. <laughs> All right. Our classic this week is the 1931 Dracula. Dracula. Yes. Uh, starring Bella Lugosi as Count Dracula. He's moving to. London. Uh, he's uh, selling his castle in Transylvania and moving to London. Uh, he needs a uh, Renfield to do to do this business deal for him, and he, of course, enchants Ren- Renfield to be his familiar, his assistant. And uh, he comes to London and encounters uh, a group of rich people uh, living nearby, and he falls in love with with uh, at least well, all the women, I think. Dracula pretty much falls in love with every woman, but he falls in love with everybody, really, because he just wants their blood. More than anything, he just wants their blood. <laughs> and uh, uh, He's a very seductive, uh, weird, creepy, but also kind of sexy guy that women kind of go for because he's you know, so mysterious and foreign. And Lugosi is so great at uh, that uh, being mysterious and foreign. His uh, accent is brilliant, and the uh, choice to light him and light his eyes especially... Uh, Carl Freund does an amazing job uh, of, uh, of creating this character nearly as much as Bela Lugosi does. It's uh, directed by Todd Browning, uh, which is probably one of his most 
oddly conventional films when you compare it to something like his more, most personal film, Freaks. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's it's I think it's a terrific piece of direction. I think it's an underrated piece of direction overall for a movie this short to contain so many iconic moments and iconic scenes, and for it for it to exist as it does uh, today, seeming like a movie that could exist today. It's it's really impressive. I mean, the way that he evokes you know Dracula, even the the bat. On a string looks great, uh, considering the time frame. I, uh, you know, they just that you know, everything that, that Bella Lugosi does as Dracula, he completely replaces the Dracula of the time. You know, Max Schreck was, uh, you know, he was the original sort of what they were thinking of of the Dracula character, and he comes in and just creates it all in his own image. And everything after Bella Lugosi is what Dracula is, and. Uh, that's pretty impressive to do that in one fell swoop like that in 1931. Uh, this movie is great. It's still great. It was great then. It's great today. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, from Sesame Street to Count Chocula to the Scooby-Doo. I mean, all that stuff. You don't even have to have seen this movie to have seen this movie. Uh, but because of all that stuff, it makes it very watchable. And because it's a great film on top of that. It you know a 1931 movie being watchable today for a regular audience too, not just a film snob like Sean. Uh, I, <laughs> I think uh, I really think anybody could sit and watch this and enjoy it. Uh, it's I mean even the lack of stakes you still buy into, it, but I don't know. It's it's just it's an easy watch. It's easy to consume and uh, it's just really well done and. So, I mean, clearly iconic, uh, but I this is kind of the highlight of my weekend, <laughs> movie wise. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna be perfectly frank. I didn't watch it because I've watched it fifty times. I don't need to, you know, I didn't need to watch it necessarily to, for the review. Um, a few things that have always stuck out to me is it took me years to realize that the theme at the beginning of Dracula is Swan Lake. Um, and I, about, I don't know, six months ago, a year, I was listening and I was like, oh, they're playing the Dracula theme. And the, I'm like, oh, it's Swan Lake. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and then, of course, when I, the last time I watched this was just a couple months ago. I I saw that it was Swan Lake in the credits. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess I just never paid attention. Um, this has got this, like, like you guys have said, the tropes that have been set up for every vampire movie since are just, it's just, you know, a vampire cast no reflection. A lot of the stuff from the universal monster movies has become lore that wasn't necessarily lore for vampires before, like a vampire cast no reflection. That was never a thing until, you know, this, this book um, that this was based on. Uh, this is also a, a, an example of the book. The movie is better than the book. Cause I don't know if you guys have ever read the book. It's told in a series of letters. Um, it's, it's worth listening or, or reading to. Um, but God, Bill Lugosi was just, he, think about it. It's almost a hundred years ago. And who is the very first person we think of when we think of Dracula? 
Bella Lugosi. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it just that characterization alone, if you've never seen this, is worth watching just to see where the template for every screen vampire comes from. Uh, you know, the 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 brides of Dracula, they just you know the slinkiness of them and the fact that an armadillo is like supposed to be scary. And then you think about it, you're like, okay, 1931, how many people knew, really knew what an armadillo was? They're sitting, yeah. you know, they were born and raised in New York City or London. What the fuck is that? That's an armadillo. They're all over Texas, you know? <laughs> like, but just, just the little things that they did, like the little touches, um, you know, the lighting, like you talked about with, where they're just lighting his eyes and that, you know, that just kind of evokes a feeling and everybody i mean because he's the character of dracula is just sexy and that's kind of you know the modern day vampire as a kind of a sex god or goddess depending on which movie you're watching it it all starts with that and i can't even like i can't even talk about how much i love this movie without mentioning the mexican version have you guys seen that I've heard, I've read about it. No. Okay. It's um, if you got, if you get the Blu-ray or whatever, it's kind of the, the bonus. It's exactly the same movie, just in Spanish with different actors. And they filmed it at night when all the actors from this version would go home, they would bring in the Spanish actors and film it in Spanish with different. You know, and it's just, I actually for a while kind of preferred that one. Just the way, just the way that everybody looks and their characterizations. Um, I I like the over the topness of it a little more. I think, you know, it's kind of like watching a telenovela, but Dracula. <laughs> um, you know, that's those are always heightened, like a soap opera, or whatever. Um, check that out if you get the chance. But I can't recommend the original Dracula enough i just think everybody should see it especially if you're if you consider yourself a movie fan even if you're not a horror fan you got to see this movie because it just there's so much richness and lushness to the setting of it and you know it's very incredibly yeah so many people have uh, so many hollywood people have tried to like update dracula and change dracula and make dracula their own and they've all failed they can't take it away from Bela Lugosi. It just comes. It goes back to him. It goes back to him, and that that hair and those eyes and that cape and that suit. Uh, that's that's going to be Dracula. And when you you can try and change it, like you, I think the closest anybody came to like taking it uh, and making it their own was Christopher Lee in the Hammer yeah, film. The closest like conception of that character. Uh, and then you know I would say Blackula at least you know gave a little bit of a twist. Uh, but kept the, a lot of the conventions, but as at least in terms of trying to modernize it, it did, it did that. Uh, but every other time that somebody tries to change vampires, it just feels wrong. Like the stupid twilight movies, like, <laughs> like they just like vampires can stand in the sun and they shine like diamonds, like fuck off. a Stupid addition to the, to the vampire lore, you know? That's a not, not necessary. Movies are classics, and I will not have any slander about them on our show. 
Uh, shut up, Mr. Green. <laughs> I just assume she's a Twilight fan. That's Nancy Grace for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's, 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 it's incredible that Bill Lugosi remains that iconic. Go ahead, Bob. I mean, I was just going to I didn't really. Have, I, I I enjoy some of the foreign horror vampire movies that have come out, but they're not even trying to. They're just kind of doing their own little small thing. Uh, you know, I said it before, but one thing that I think really works for this, and you mentioned the lighting and everything, is the lack of resources that we have mm-hmm. today uh, cause you to be more creative and more you know artistic. And today you just throw money at everything. I mean, even the one in the nineties, I'm sure I never seen that one. Is that Coppola that did it? I don't even know. Yeah. Who. yeah. I, I'm sure it's fine. I have no idea. I've never seen it, but uh, the, just a lot of money goes into a production like that to try to make a lot more money. And then you're taking shortcuts and you're not, you're not doing anything authentic and it doesn't, you know, it's impossible to be iconic after that. But I don't know. It, it's, it's a fantastic watch and very easy to get through. And you've kind of seen it already without seeing it anyhow. anyhow. True. I mean, to your, to your point, Bob, though, like, uh, I think, it, I think Coppola's Dracula is kind of the, uh, is kind of the proof to what you just said about how the limitations actually make the original so much better because right. he has every resource possible in that movie. Uh, I don't think is very good. I think it's very incredibly broad and, over the top and they're trying very hard to to create their own dracula and coming up with uh i I think coming up very very short the best thing about coppola's dracula is the red armor that he wears (laughs) i mean honestly you know they're trying to make it they were trying to make it as close as they could to the book but really the only way they could have done that is if they were just sitting reading letters to each other you know it's 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 more of a romantic movie than a like a horror movie, and even then, it's not that great. Yeah. Well, and uh, the, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Bob. Well, I was just gonna say Coppola's everything that he's done that's good is very bloated. He he does bloat better than everybody else. However, <laughs> he has a lot of shit too. Uh, yeah. So that makes sense that the new one would be kind of over crowded and whatever. Yeah, see, it wasn't a very good point. You could have just kept going and you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, oh, gosh, where was I going? I had I had something and now it's gone. And I ruined it with Coppola making bloated movies. <laughs> I've never seen The Godfather. Bring her back to Mafia, Mama. What's up? I'd like to see her get eaten by a vampire. <laughs> that character, not Tony Collette. Yeah. I was gonna say her play a vampire. Her and Nicolas Cage together doing over the top bullshit. That'd be fun. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Tony Collette has a lifetime pass because of hereditary. So that's fine. And, the Sixth I'll never hold, and Muriel's wedding. I'll never hold against her because of that, but uh the Mafia Mama is really bad though. Um <laughs> Now, if you were okay, okay, we should start doing this with the classic. If you could cast that movie with today's actors, who would it be? Who would you cast oh, as Dracula? 
That's not, not Nicholas Nicolas Cage. Cage. <laughs> I Kevin actually Spacey? wouldn't. I think that. I think what? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think like Cage like completely overwhelms the role, and you know, he just brings a different expectation to it. Not that I didn't love his performance. I did love his Dracula, and I love the idea of his Dracula. But it's not. It's not Lugosi's Dracula. Um, mm-hmm. It could do it but, like exactly as it is. Yeah. How about like, how about this? Um, like Gus Van Zandt's shot-for-shot remake of the original Dracula. Go. Vince Vaughn. Uh, <laughs> I would say either either Christoph Waltz or Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, I hate Ben Mendelsohn. Okay. <laughs> but you're not supposed to like Dracula. So it's, he's the, the no, villain. you're supposed to. You're supposed to want to fuck Dracula no matter who you are. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the idea. That's, I don't find. Yeah, I don't find. He seduces everybody. I don't, I don't particularly charming, like super charming. I don't know. Maybe like an Oscar Isaac. He has to like trick people. He, he's like enchanting people with his like his mental powers. That's how he fucks people. He's not. He's not charming or attractive. Uh, young Bella Lugosi could fucking get it. Have you ever seen him? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the Bella Lugosi and Dracula. Well, I'm just saying, like, I, you know, I'm like, okay. I don't well. know anything about young Bella Lugosi. I'm talking about the Bella Lugosi I saw in Dracula. He's not, he's I mean, not I might a... Still let, I might still let get 85-year-old uh, Robert Redford get it after seeing some of his early work. <laughs> just as a pass, you know? Right. I say the only way that Dracula, this Dracula gets anybody is because he's mesmerizing them with his eyes. Like, he's not charming. What is Dracula's end game? Like, what is it that he's trying to do? I mean, he's just trying to get blood, right? But why? Why didn't he just do it? <laughs> like, you can he could kill everybody in front of him. He kills everybody on the boat. So, what's his end game with the with the when he's playing around with everybody, like the Harkers and whatnot? If you keep pulling the strings, you're gonna take the fun out of it. <laughs> well, no, you know what though? Here's the thing: it's like if you've got if you're immortal. Mm-hmm. You have to do something to amuse yourself. That's what I was getting Otherwise, at. Yes, I'm what's the point? Going to go to exactly that because I did have an answer to my own question. But thank you for that. <laughs> you know what's the point if you're not going to amuse yourself? You, you're everybody you ever knew is dead. Mm-hmm. You got to do something, and if you're going to like drink their blood anyway, you might as well seduce them and do all that. So, I think I think Dracula is playing with his food. I think that's the whole thing, and yeah. and it's kind of it's really a movie about hubris, about his hubris, about his ego, that uh, leads him to a place where uh, he ends up where he ends up uh, being you know being killed essentially by seemingly killed uh, by Van Helsing, and he, part of the part of this also is just a really clever construction of this plot, yeah. You because know, I was talking about uh, how I was talking about another movie where the plot. Uh, just completely lets down the, what otherwise is a very good movie, uh, which we'll talk about next week. But they, this week, this movie has such smart construction because everybody seemingly is drawn in by Dracula. Everybody who he he wants to be drawn, he wants to draw in, he draws in until you get to Van Helsing, and then Van Helsing resists him, and it's like that puts over you know the strength of Van Helsing and Van Helsing's convictions about uh, about who who he is and about this you know the strength that he carries up. To Dracula, it makes him a worthy opponent that he's able to resist him that way. Uh, and 
that's a very simple thing, but it's just very smart construction to do it the way they did it, where everybody's seduced by him except this one guy who's able to resist him. You know, Van Helsing being an academic and having studied all of this, you know, that's kind of, in a way, it's kind of a template for the, like the serial killer being taken down by the FBI agent who studies his type. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that kind of feeds into that, you know, the mind hunter of it all. And he's, uh, you know, he's John Douglas and, or he's Clary Starling and Dracula is Hannibal Lecter, you know, that kind of, that dynamic, you know, the, the tension that you have to have between the two and will he succeed or won't he? Yeah, it really comes through with these two. Absolutely. It's it's really it's really smartly constructed. It's really it's really cleverly plotted. People have pointed out like what I said before about the about the the seeming lack of plot, but uh, really the plot is just that Dracula is bored. He's looking for something to do. He's hungry, but he doesn't want to like you know, take his meals all at once like he could like he could if he wanted to. And the idea that he's just toying with people is very interesting. I think I think Cage could have played that. I think Cage could have played something like that, where he's sort of he chooses a group of victims that happen to be like Renfield's circle. Uh, now in this modern age, you know, Renfield has built up a friendly circle, and Dracula sort of insinu- insinuates himself into it, and it's all very weird and awkward because he's Dracula, <laughs> and but he's also like using his like mesmerizing powers on people to draw them in and Renfield's just like, what did you, he's Dracula. Stay away from <laughs> like, you can play a whole thing where, where cage just does this old school Dracula in a modern setting. And that's the movie with him sort of toying with people before he decides whether or not he's going to eat them. And Renfield has to decide if he's going to stop him or not. That's a far better movie than what Redfield is. And it's just making me mad now that they didn't do that. Yeah. You know, Playing with his food, that's a good way of saying it. Um, you know, and he's also like, like, think of it. If he sees a beautiful woman, he wants to make her immortal so she'll be with him forever, like the brides at the beginning of the movie, you know? Yeah, that's so, that's another thing Like that, that Coppola overdid was trying to make Oldman, Gary Oldman into this grand, romantic, tragic anti-hero. Like, that just didn't work for me. Ugh, I mean, look uh, it was too overblown. Yeah. I'm sorry, that was rude, but <laughs> Bella Gary Lugosi is best when he plays a dirt bag. Yes. <laughs> Anything else on Dracula before we move on? It's incredible. Everybody needs to see it. I just picked up the NECA Dracula figure too. And somehow and somehow, as great as Dracula is, the mummy and Frankenstein and and um, Invisible Man, the Frankenstein sequel, uh, are better than Dracula. As good oh, as I Dracula thought, is. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you scared the shit out of me. Like I was gonna have to reach through this screen and beat nope. the shit out of you. For yes, me, the okay. mummy, the mummy is the is a is number one, uh, followed by the the Frankenstein sequel, then Frankenstein, then Dracula. Bride of Frankenstein. Thank you. I was trying to think of that one. Bride of Frankenstein is fucking brilliant. Fizzle Man's really I, good too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I my favorite is Bride of Frankenstein. I mean, Doctor Pretorius 
we we should really do like a Patreon show and talk about all the Universal monsters because it's just the Bride of Frankenstein. You know, it's like <laughs> oh, he his character is one of my favorites in all of horror movies. Just the kind of sissy madman like me. Um, and, and what that wins too is like it's it's the director essentially inserting himself into the film like he's creating the movie as he goes it's it's really it's really genius like that it's highly meta and nobody at the time even know what meta was (laughs) yeah we'll talk about all the universal sometime the mummy is my favorite though all right i'll have to 1993, we have Boiling Point and Bunny in June. I forget what Boiling Point is. We did not watch that for the 93 podcast. We watched Bunny in June. uh, Was that Wesley Snipes? Boiling Point, yes. Not not Bunny in June. Wesley Snipes is not in Bunny in June. (laughs) Oh, I would have loved it. There are no black people in Bunny in June. (laughs) It's an incredibly white movie. Uh, but it's it's not a terrible movie though, uh, and uh, I it, it was it was an interesting conversation with uh, Amy and MJ, which uh, hopefully whenever Bob gets a chance, that'll go it'll out be, for people. It'll be out this week, and uh, it's it's a weird movie. So Johnny Depp plays a guy who likes to hide in trees, and he likes to you know he likes to pretend that he's Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin or some silent movie hero. Aiden Quinn and uh, Mary Stuart Masterson, is it? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I get them confused, those 80s women. Uh, she, she's she got a you know, pretty serious mental disorder. Aiden Quinn is her brother. Uh, he's trying to keep her safe, but also trying to live a life. And uh, those two things are kind of at odds at all time because she runs off everybody who he hires to try and take care of her. Then he they bring in Johnny Depp almost by accident when they win him in a in a poker game. <laughs> I, it's true. They win his character in a poker game and he comes to live with them. And he and Mary Stuart Masterson start to fall in love and develop a relationship. And of course, Caden Quinn's a little uncomfortable with this idea because he's you know expecting her to explode at any moment because she does have schizophrenia. She can manage it with with uh, with medication, but she does have it. And the movie never says schizophrenia it never talks about it openly but we can see the signs and and that in terms of the how you construct a movie about mental illness in that way where you're not you know terrifying people with the idea of schizophrenia it's actually very fair and very empathetic to her character in that way uh and it gives her sort of a, a base reality in which you can understand how this person could live a life even as they do have this very serious mental illness uh the romance is is very sweet. Uh, somehow Johnny Depp pulls this off in this weird character who should be incredibly twee and should be incredibly irritating. And I was definitely kind of irritated, you know, by him early on with the introduction of him like hiding in a tree and then him just being a, a jerk, kind of. And, but then he does; he grows on you the way he grows on these characters. Uh, he has some very funny moments where, like, he goes to get a job at this uh, uh, VHS rental store, and and he walks in and he grabs the help wanted sign and he walks up to, to the counter. And he says, "I'll help," 
<laughs> it's just, he delivers the line so perfectly, so perfectly. It's so sweet. Uh, and he does that a couple times in the movie. And yeah, he's doing all this shtick, but the, the shtick kind of works because it kind of fits this character. He stays with this character. He stays with the idea and never changes it. And yet creates a believable scenario where he and this woman could be together. I, I really enjoyed it. Also, very early performance from Julianne Moore. I, I had no idea she was in this movie, and she's like the fourth lead. Hmm. Weirdly enough, do you know who was initially sought for this? It wasn't Johnny Depp, or certainly and, or Mary Stuart Masterson. It was actually the first choices, and they were never going to get this, Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts, or who they wanted for Penny and June. I know. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, if, but then they, they changed it up as though they had Woody Harrelson. Like he was signed on to play the Aiden Quinn character. Uh, and he left this to go do Indecent Proposal. Uh, and they, to the point where they were so close with him that they had to sue him when he left. Uh, Laura Dern was actually cast in the Mary Stuart Masterson role and then quit when she was told that she was the third lead. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, all right. I did not watch this. Neither did I. I, I just this, but trying to see the three movies that came out this week. April sucks. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> one like of my friends on Twitter. One of my friends on Twitter goes, "How come there's no horror movies opening in May? Or no, there's no good horror movies opening in May? I'm like, because every movie is coming out in fucking April." It's like I, I I just I don't know how we're gonna do it. Uh, Every movie's getting out of the way of Guardians of the Galaxy, apparently. Oh uh, well. Well, we even didn't uh, watch two movies that came out this week just due to time. <laughs> uh, uh, what do we got next week? Uh, you sent me in. I've already. I know Bo is afraid. Obviously, we talked about that. Uh, the Evil Dead Rise. Uh, how to blow up a pipeline? Uh, Chevalier. Chevalier. And, Chevalier. Uh, whatever. And 1993. <laughs> Racist. This boy's life and who's the man? Tell me you're watching who's the man, please. We are watching who's the man in your honor. <laughs> can I come over? <laughs> yes, yes, you can. You can totally come over. <laughs> you should watch a double feature. Just one of the guys, and who's the man? <laughs> <laughs> I made Josh and Sean watch Who's the Man. <laughs> when we were done, Sean's just like, this is the most normal, basic movie ever. Why do you like this so much? <laughs> I have no answer. I just memorized it it was like living every uh, bob lived through every fear ever of showing a movie that you like to people (laughs) (laughs) that jeff where you're like you've got to show a movie to somebody and they come away night like you know not impressed black christmas if somebody sees black christmas and they are not impressed that person is not getting anywhere near my pants (laughs) whether they wanted to or not i mean well, I had it where you, you know how when you're showing a movie, then all of a sudden you realize it's not good. Like I was <laughs> oh, showing yeah, yeah. somebody Rocky four because I've grown up. It's like the best action movie of all time in the middle of it. I'm like, oh, my God, there is no plot to this movie. It's just him working out the whole time. 
this person's totally bored. It's 2002. Uh, the worst is what we did to Josh, though. <laughs> oh, oh when he brought us to Aliens? <laughs> yeah. 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 That was... And he had a girlfriend at the time who was making it that much more entertaining for us and more miserable for him. <laughs> we were not kind to the alien movies, Jeff. God, like I love alien movies. I did before that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and now I can't, like, yeah, it took me a while to... So okay, my take. We're not we're not gonna watch these together ever. I just refuse to. Um, the first Alien is a masterpiece of of horror movies. Okay, of horror sci-fi. It is it is everything about that movie is rewatchable over and over. Um, as far as Aliens goes, uh, the director's cut. You have to watch that, but you can. I kind of I kind of watch it up until they start going to space and she shows off that she can use the loader and then everything off off of that until she saves Newt. I don't really have to watch. Mm-hmm. I you know, I like the, you know, I like the last scenes with with where she's fighting the queen. The whole army stuff, I'm not a big army movie fan, so that whole like middle section, I could take it or leave it. But if you cut out yeah. If you cut that out, it I could just watch it like all the way through. Alien three, the producer's cut. I I love that movie. I just can't not can't not love it. I because of Sigourney Weaver mostly and you know yeah. David Fincher's visuals. Um, Alien Resurrection, it's fine. There's some fun stuff to it. I like the characters a little more than I do in Aliens. And a lot more than most of the ones in Alien Three. Um, don't make me ever watch the Alien versus Predator movies again. <laughs> never, no, I won't watch. I'll, I never want to see Paul W. S. Anderson again in my life. Fucking <laughs> um, monster! No, I, I think I think the problem that I have with with the first two Aliens movie Alien movies is that we were sold a bill of goods about uh, Sigourney Weaver being the baddest, ki- baddest ass kicking babe in the world. And it's like, she's a pretty normal chick until the like, second <laughs> half of the second movie. <laughs> yeah. Like she's, she's relatively a normal person who's having a normal reaction to this. Like it's not, she's not a badass iconic hero. Like everybody keeps painting her. She's, she's a normal yeah. person having a normal reaction like, to a terrifying situation. Borderline damsel in distress. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and then, like midway through the second one, she flicks it on to this action hero. But I don't know. That was so. In Alien, to me, she's a t- she's your like prototypical final girl. Yes. In that she it, it's a haunted house movie, and she survives the haunted house through. She's the only smart character, and you find this out early. I knew she was going to be the final girl when I saw it. I, I saw it as a kid and then I saw it again years later. I hadn't watched it in a long time until college and I watched it. And when she says, no, Ash can't, you know, don't let them in. You can't break quarantine. And he overrides her. I'm like, she's the only smart one. She's the one who knows that, you know, they've got to stay outside for 24 hours or whatever. That's what I knew that she was the smartest one in there. And 
the fact that it was written for a man and she just kind of just went with it i i'll never ever talk bad about that so i will say alien's my favorite of all of them but oh yeah still not yeah it just wasn't like i, I think i think for and i think for both of us bob i think we both didn't have that we both grew up with Sigourney Weaver as a movie star. Right. We, we grew up with the framing of Ripley being, you know, this badass, ass-kicking hero. That's the framing that we come to the movie as. And then you're watching the movie and, and you're not getting her like, you know, she's not beating up the aliens or anything like that. She's, she's escaping like a normal person would. And I think when you create this frame around her that isn't what the character is, it's not fair to the movie and it's not fair to the audience. But I also think you and I, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you did, but I did not watch this movie a lot. Like maybe one time as a kid, like while my brother watched it over and over and over and over again, clearly Josh did too. Uh, I don't know if you were the same way, just kind of one and done and moved on. And so, I saw it one time, yeah, and moved on from it. And I think that plays up. a role too. You know, there's no nostalgia for me, so I'm trying yeah. to find Josh's nostalgia while we're watching it, and it's not there for me. And that added to the fun, unfortunately for him. All right, you guys want to run Dracula through flick chart? Sure. Yeah. Why not? Well, let me see if I can find it. Done this how many times and I struggle every time. <laughs> Unfortunately, I may have to go after we do that if that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Unless it just takes like three times. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. We never know what's going to happen. Dracula, be kind, we rewind. Dracula. Dracula. Dracula, the fast and the furious. Dracula, but it's close. <laughs> you know, it's like, close from it me. Sounds like one movie. <laughs> Dracula for me as well. Dracula, Notting Hill. Dracula, Dracula, but I love Notting Hill. Dracula, Harry Potter, and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Ooh, Dracula versus Dracula on the poster. <laughs> I'll take Dracula, but again, I love I like that Harry Potter movie. That's my first favorite Harry Potter movie, but Dracula is Yeah. Dracula or the Breakfast Club. Dracula. Yeah. I recently rewatched The Breakfast Club and it's good, but it's you know, why does Ali Sheedy have to give up who she is for Yeah. Jacques? I don't like the Breakfast Club. Uh, Dracula, eyes wide shut. Eyes wide shut. Dracula doesn't have Tom Cruise in it. I'm going to have to only do the recency bias go Dracula. I haven't seen eyes wide shut since 1999, and at the time I didn't like it. So someday we'll have to make that a classic. Dracula, 12 Years a Slave. Dracula. Yeah. 12 Years of Slave is a really good movie, but it, I don't know if I, I can watch it again. Right. No. Dracula Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy. Dracula. It's Chasing Amy for me, but I think a lot of it's just due to the fact that it's the right age for when it came out. Yeah. Dracula Psycho. 
Psycho. <sighs> yeah, Psycho. I. It's. I mean, it's like my children, but. How do you choose your children, Psycho? <laughs> Dracula Jaws. <laughs> Jaws. Uh, Dracula. I want to go. Jaws. I love Jaws. I mean, Jaws is great. I just. Dracula, the Star is Born. Dracula. Dracula. I'll go with Star is Born. Number 19 on our list. Star is Born is number 20. <laughs> Dracula is probably a little too high, but yeah, that's fine. That's a fine spot for it. I think, like I said, I still think the that uh, the Frankenstein movies and, and the Mummy... Uh, Boris Karloff and Mummy, I think, are, are still better movies than Dracula. You want to run The Mummy and Young or The Bride of Frankenstein in real quick? <laughs> I don't think you, you know guys what? have the proper framing for The Mummy. You need to watch it again. Well, we yeah, watched I it on the I podcast the not that long ago, uh, so I remember how good it was, but that's fine. We can wait. Let's, let's, make, let's make each of the Universal's classics at some point. We can do that. All right. All right. That is our show. Sorry, I had to cut flick chart short. Did I say that right? All right. Uh, anyway, we'll I'll, we will see you guys next week for Ari Aster. We have not picked a classic yet, but uh, I'm okay with the one you had, Sean. It just might be a lot of work. Persona. Jeff, or did you have a thought? Or? Um, I was actually talking to a friend of mine about having to go back and watch the Evil Dead movies because I, I haven't watched them in a long time and I want to see if I if, if it makes me like Army of Darkness any better even though I was going to watch it after you guys talked about it on the 93 show but um, I mean just let me know I'll try to try to squeeze uh, anything in this weekend while I'm in Chicago yeah I mean I All guess right. if we were doing a great show I would agree with you Sean Persona would be ideal but there's only so many hours in the day for the weekend for me this time uh Fair enough. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That sounds good. I'll see you guys next week. See ya. Bye.